Hey there, I'm Judy Kroon. Welcome to another episode of Laugh Long and Prosper, self-help with a dash of humor. I believe the humor is one of our best coping mechanisms, especially when we're facing stress and unknown times like now. Uh, today is Monday. That means it's time for just another Mindful Monday. On the phone with me today is uh, my friend, Denny Grignon. Uh, Denny is a native of Eastern Ontario and has been touring across Canada for more than 30 years. Early in that career, Denny realized he wanted to perform stand-up comedy that worked above the neck, not below the belt. I love that. The Ottawa Citizen has described him as a sharp and likable comic who respects an audience's intelligence. The Globe and Mail, meanwhile, said he was wonderfully relaxed. His comedy has been featured on such CBC national programs as The Debaters, Laugh Out Loud, and Marketplace. He also traveled to the other side of the planet, entertaining Canadian forces in Afghanistan. His humor is down to earth, but yes, not below the belt. An award-winning journalist, Denny's radio documentaries are heard across the country on the CBC. He's also a regular contributor to the Toronto Star. For the past two years, he's produced and hosted the Advocate podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. It's a twice-monthly news magazine show about his new hometown area where he lives on a farm with his magazine editor wife and their two sons, where they're home visiting from university. Denny is also a big fan of my doodly do song. So that's why I just had to have him on the on the show. <laughs> ah. Dan, welcome to the show. You didn't quite do it with the conviction. You, you did that original time back in uh, <laughs> 2000 and something doodly doodly do in the middle of a snowstorm. Yes. Nerves of steel you had, Judy. <laughs> yes, I was driving. Den and I were driving uh, back from a gig between somewhere between Toronto and no, Ottawa. North, Where was, was that? North, no, we were coming back from North Bay, right. and it was uh, there was a heavy snowfall the night before. And I thought, "There's no way uh, I am leaving tonight." And and you had toyed with the idea because you're a uh, you know that you're that comedy road warrior you were ready to drive home that night and I remember the <laughs> snow was just beating down like I, I, I couldn't see the parking lot and you were saying no nah, I think it'll be fine so I had to really really lean into you and go no can we wait until the morning and we did mm -hmm. and we suffered the aftermath of uh, of that snowfall and I remember I fell asleep in the seat next to you and at one point I just heard you go doodly doodly do at which point I woke up and what did I see Judy a jackknife tractor trailer <laughs> right in front of right us. Right in yes. front of us. <laughs> so you will forever be known as the doodly do comic with nerves of steel. Oh my goodness. I know. I just took my foot off the gas and started singing and you just happened to wake up in that moment. <laughs> well, now, anytime I hear anybody say doodly doodly do, or should it be on their phone? I just have these flashbacks of you know, <laughs> 1993 or 94 or whenever it was. Oh my goodness. I know those hell gigs. I mean, you know, we uh, live to tell the tale, but man, when you start listening to comics road stories, it's just, uh, you know, it, it, they just go on like, there's just things that you 
can't believe we lived through when we were younger, you know, mm-hmm. um, just, does uh, it just, seem like a long, does it seem like a long time for you, Judy, when, when you think of those long road trips and, and driving through snowstorms and rushing yeah, I'd have to say so, because I mean, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough that now most of my traveling is, is limited to, um, you know, if it's a drive, it's usually within two hours of Toronto And if it's any further than that, you know, I can fly, whether it's a speaking gig or a comedy gig. But, you know, back then, those the fly flying was not an option unless it was, you know, you were going out to Alberta or B.C. or Saskatchewan. But, uh, you know, a lot of it was anything that was between, you know, uh, it could be a two hour drive. It could be an eight hour drive. And, uh, my, um, you know, major shout out to the comics who are still clocking in those kilometers every week. I mean, it's, uh, it really, you really have to have the passion for it. Right. Well, I guess that's a positive spit on it. <laughs> the passion or, or maybe, maybe fewer options, but no, I, I remember when I was in the thick of it, I was, I was never a great road comic and certainly arguably I wasn't a great road comic as a performer, but just the, the lifestyle, I, I, I wasn't really good at being away from home. I used to get homesick when I was single and living in a little apartment in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. So the idea of, of driving through snowstorms, uh, now when I take a gig, my first question is, can I get there by not driving? So, <laughs> so I can avoid all of that. Well, and you know what, for folks who have no awareness, tell them what the lifestyle basically, what were, what were some of the, what were the top three turnoffs for you in terms of doing stand-up comedy? That's a great question. Um, he, <laughs> this is going to sound okay. I, I'm going to make sure this is the first one. Uh, so I'll count it down from from number. Th- well, I'll start at number one. The first biggest turnoff I found uh, was dependent who you got stuck with, who the mm. person was, and and I know yeah. you know I've spoken about this often, and I I recognize I, I may be particular. I don't like to think I'm a snob, but. I found it really hard being around certain personalities who mm-hmm. spent a nine hour road trip talking incessantly about themselves. And I was really just an audience to mm-hmm. their uh, self aggrandizing rants. And you remember <laughs> what it's like when you're in your twenties, yeah. you just kind of, you're wide eyed and you're listening to it. It isn't, sure. so, you know, the end of the trip or maybe years later you go, wow, that was unbearable. And somehow I managed to bear the unbearable. So that was you're probably right. the heart. That was probably the hardest the hardest part, getting stuck with somebody that mm-hmm. said every now and then you got stuck with somebody great. I mean, we just lost Lawrence Morgenstern, who um, you know, was, you know, the, the guy I looked up to when I was starting yeah. out in, and in 1992, which is, I guess, 30 years ago, literally right around this time, my first real road trip out West for four weeks was with Lawrence. And despite his quirks and his, his uh, awkwardness, uh, that's, that remains one of the highlights of, of my touring so that's, uh, so there, I tried to counter the bad with the good. <laughs> if, you, if you hit a good comic, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And now I find myself way pickier on the few occasions when I may be working with somebody else before I even ask about what fees are. I just say, who am I working with? And, and I've turned down many gigs. If it's someone I just didn't want to share space with. So that, um, the, uh, just the loneliness of being away from, from home and my mm-hmm. stuff. And, and now my, my wife and my, certainly when my kids were younger, I, I missed them. Um, and yeah, just the, uh, the sense of familiarity of being, I love waking up in my own home and 
walking out to my barn and, and tinkering and taking the dog for a walk. So those are the three things probably that, that I found the toughest. How about you? What's, what are the three toughest for you? I would say, uh, you know, I noticed when, you know, I was just comparing it. Like I did, I want to say probably about three months ago, I, um, did a presentation that was two hours away. And I remember the two hour drive was fine, but had it been any longer than two hours, as I was in the car, I was thinking, oh my God, I remember when I first got in my car and drove down to the States and I was down there for three months doing open micers, you know, and I was, Mm -hmm. I drove from Calgary to Seattle, to Portland and San Francisco, Los Angeles. And then I, you know, ran into this freakish comic that, you know, speaking of hell gigs, uh, we had, uh, met at the Seattle laugh off competition and she wanted a lot, a drive back to, uh, wanted to drive to San Francisco. And she said, listen, I'll split the gas with you, split the driving with you. Um, and you know, you could have a place to stay. I'm like, perfect. What a great opportunity to be introduced. She was going to introduce me to the club owners in San Francisco. And then from there, I was going to go on to LA. Everything worked out, sounded on paper, like it was going to be great. Uh, so classic after the gig, uh, in Seattle, I'm like, okay, I'll do the first leg of driving. And, you know, she smoked so much pot in the car. I mean, at the time, like even if somebody were to light up a joint in my car now, (laughs) like throw them out into the middle of the road. But back then I'm like, okay, uh, older, calm, more seasoned comic. I guess this is what comedians do. And we ended up in this terrible, uh, fog, uh, foggy conditions in, in the mountains of, uh, California, um, Northern California and foggy, con- and foggy conditions in the car as it were. Yeah. <laughs> foggy inside and out. And I'm like, okay, it's your turn to drive. And she was so passed out and I ended up driving. What was it? I think however, the, however long the leg is basically from Seattle all the way to Monterey, because there was going to be a one-nighter in Monterey and she was going to introduce me to the club owner there, blah, blah, blah. And then um, we went back to her place in San Francisco and it was so infested with roaches. And she's like, oh, can you drop me off at the train station or the bus station, whatever, uh, because I've got to go on the road, but you got the apartment to yourself for two weeks. Again, I was like, before this, this all sounded great on paper. Okay, great. You know, all starry eyed, <laughs> fantastic. My own place in San Francisco for two weeks. Then the place was crawling with roaches, crawling with roaches. Oh. And after one night, I mean, I walked into the kitchen, there was a scatteration of roaches and uh, she's like, oh yeah, the, the carpet guy's coming tomorrow to uh, replace the carpet. So could you answer the door? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> I got to say, I've learned a new word. The scat, what did you call it? The scatter? <laughs> the, the scatteration. The scatteration. <laughs> well, I knew this story was not going to end with you saying, and I walked into her apartment and my goodness, I thought it was the four seasons. I knew, I knew it wasn't going there. <laughs> it is interesting you mentioned the pot thing 
interesting though. That definitely, I can't believe that didn't make my top three today. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it, I, 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 I never bought in. I, that was never part of my lifestyle, but there was a time when, yes, if I worked with a comedian and they smoked, it's well, whatever, just, you know, not near me. Sure. And I, be, I became a lot less tolerant of it. And uh, I actually had to tell a booking agent a couple of years back that, look, you can't work me with any more potheads. Uh, I, I'm not even talking about people who decide to smoke every now and then I'm talking right. about the, the guy who wakes up in the morning in his pajamas or, or sorry, his sweatpants and, <laughs> and, and, and a bowl of cereal watching cartoons and starts mm-hmm. smoking at, at noon mm-hmm. and uh, throughout the entire, I said, I can't do that anymore. You, you got to book me with people who aren't like that. And the agent literally said, I'm not sure if I can book you with anybody then because it's, <laughs> <laughs> the market was so small, apparently. So that yeah. is, that is funny. So um, I wanted to tell you, I mean, we could talk about comedic hell gigs all day long, but, um, you know, you have never struck me as a sort of, uh, you know, what drives comedians, it, a lot of comedians, their, their minds never turn off. Um, you're very intelligent, but you don't have that erratic sort of in your face on stage or in person, which is why I love you, which is why you're one of my <laughs> friends, because you're not always on, um, either, uh, or, or I am always on. I'm just not funny when I'm on. Maybe that's the difference. <laughs> I'm not selling it well. <laughs> now you're very funny, my friend, but here's the thing. Um, So you're mindful in your own way. I mean, just circling back to just another mindful Monday, I have spoken to comedians on the show about their about their process, about quieting their mind, whether it is to get in the headspace to write uh, just to get into the space to cope. Um, you know, and, and we have a lot of friends, we have a lot of coworkers in this industry, uh, you know, a lot of comedians that have, have baggage, uh, you know, mental challenges, and, and that's what makes them brilliant on stage. So there is that challenge to calm the mind. Um, now for yourself, do you, do you practice any meditation? Cause you all seem like a very calm sort of, you're one of my calm go-to people. What is your secret? Well, there's the performance in, in me, I guess, but I, I, I wouldn't want to mislead anybody and have them think that I'm, uh, that I'm, um, uh, I'm a Buddha meditation expert <laughs> by no means. Um, it's, it's interesting all the, there's, and I've been giving this a lot more thought in the last uh, little while since you and I, you know, talked a couple of weeks ago, because we do chat on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I got to say the same thing with you, Judy. It's, it's not even so much that you're um, uh, a calm, meditative person, but I've always found you to be a very positive, uplifting person. Mm. So in terms of, uh, of how I manage my own mindfulness, uh, no, I'm not folding my legs. Not that I could really do that at my age anyway, and, <laughs> and, and going into a kata. Uh, the one thing I have learned over the last little while with, with frankly, some prompting from my now adult sons and one mm. in particular who, who, you know, and I'll, uh, I'll paraphrase his words, but, but I remember him mm. saying, you, you complain often and, and you can be negative. So I really took that to heart and I know it had been said to me in the past by other people <laughs> and people who were close to me, but it, 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 it stuck with me. He was a teenager at the time. And I thought, I, I really got to take a look at this. So that kind of uh, launched just a different way of, of thinking, because you know what comedians are like, and I'm in many ways no different. We, t- we tend to, we're, what's, I'm going to quote Jeremy Hotz, not only are we a, a, glass, has, a glass half empty kind of uh, 
a person. Most comics are thinking, hey, you stole my glass. So <laughs> we, we, we tend to go right, right for the negative. So I, I really, I really had to retrain my brain like that. And, and mm. my wife, whom you've met, whom I've been with for, of you know, we, we've been, we've been married now and, and legitimately married, not, not that, well, it's like we're married. No, no, we're legitimately, <laughs> we've been married now for 25 years. She's a very positive person, a very uplifting person. And she calls me on my stuff too. So I, th I think in terms of my mindfulness, I, 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 um, I, I look to them. There are a couple of things I've done. I've learned to just not beat myself up as much. And most comedians, I think, are like this. We're always concerned with what we haven't got or mm. what we think we deserve. Uh, is that fairly accurate, do you think, Judy? I mean, given that you've been in the business or are most comedians I would like say that? so. I would say for sure. Like, I mean, the thing is with comedy for, I, I say this to my students all the time, anybody thinking of getting into stand-up, uh, don't get into it if you're not, if you're thinking of getting into it for the stardom and the money, it's, you no. get into it for the passion, you know? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and let's face it for, for a lot, for a lot of us. And I count myself amongst them, although I've learned to, to expand a little bit below, a lot of us got into it because we had fewer options. Think of how many, <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm always amazed at how many comedians are, uh, born in 1964. Mm -hmm. Because when you think of most comedians, they probably get into it at the age of 20 when they've gone to college or university, maybe screwed that up mm -hmm. or left with fewer options. So they get in at the age of 20. Well, those who were born in 1964, when they were 20 was 1984. And you'll remember that was really the, the start of the big boom. So, so I think that's, that's why you'll find so many within that age group who uh, pursued comedy. But that's really back, good. That's well said. Very. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've, and I, I've, I've really glommed. I've been wanting to pitch that as a story for the longest time, either to the, to the Toronto star or to the CBC. Uh, but one of the things to come back to, you know, how I try and find my, my peace with myself and, and, and to not beat myself up is uh, I've always said it's easy knowing it. It's easy be, being cognizant of the fact that fame means nothing. Uh, you know, notoriety means nothing. You just have to remind yourself of it. I, I don't think I ever really wanted that. I, I just wanted a comfortable life where I could go out and buy a really nice pickup truck and have a nice family. Not in, <laughs> not in that order with good son. But anytime, Judy, and this is, I mean, if I can impart anything to comics out there who are starting, who are, you know, beating themselves up with the, I'm funnier than that person, or how come I didn't get that thing? Uh, I always envision myself being in a shopping mall. Mm -hmm. And if there's 10,000 people in the shopping mall, there's a better than not chance. If I sat down with each and every one of those people for 25 minutes, I'm going to be able to make them laugh. And, and that's, you know, that, that's no small thing. Mm -hmm. no, how, how many people can do that? So that's what I try and cling to is that, you know, what I can do on a personal level, I can make, hopefully make people's lives better mm -hmm. and, uh, and just kind of sit with that and not, and try not to be as concerned with, with what I don't have and just, and it's, uh, it's what I have. And to your point, I mean, it's truly a gift and, you know, not only have we been able to uh, hopefully share that with other people, make other people laugh, but I noticed that I, uh, I surround myself with funny people. Like yes. I need to laugh. Um, comedy has always been a common denominator with my, uh, with anybody around me because uh, I, I just, it, it just gives me pure joy. Uh, it almost gives me more joy. It gave, okay. It gives you a rush. You got to admit when you say something 
and everybody's laughing or you're on stage and everybody goes in there and there's that laughter for sure. But there's also that same rush when somebody, you know, says something and it's so smart. It's so funny. It's that, it's that same rush. Like you're so happy for them. Well, that's because you're an unselfish person, but, (laughs) but you've also expanded your, your circle way beyond comics. Like Mm -hmm. that, the struggle I find with, with hanging out with comedians is uh, that self-centeredness. So Mm -hmm. I guess if I'm trying to, to ground myself, I try and find people uh, as I get older, I become much more tolerant of some things and less tolerant of other things. And uh, I, I try and surround myself with people, not just comics, but just in general, uh, people who after, if I meet somebody for the first time, and if after half an hour, they don't ask one question about me, mm-hmm. then, I'll pro- then I'll probably move on. And I've, yeah. I've, I've learned to just kind of surround myself with people, yes, who can make me laugh, but who are also going to take a genuine interest in, in someone outside of themselves. Does that sound selfish on my part? Not at all. I always, I, I put it this way. I go, if someone doesn't have the, and how are you, Gene? Chances are we're not going to be close. You know, it's the I, 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 me, 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 I, 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 and never once do they stop to go, and how are you doing? <laughs> I know, and mean it, and and, and sincerely mean it. What's that? Uh, I think it was a, a New York Times cartoon of some guy sitting across the table from a friend or an acquaintance and saying, you must be tired of hearing me talk about me. So why don't you talk about me for a while? (laughs) And I I thought that would be a great t-shirt. So, (laughs) and and I, are you finding that more, uh, is it more prevalent now, Judy, than, than it might've been, you know, when we were, you know, starting out in comedy or, or are we just noticing it or am I just noticing it more? now? No, you know what? I think with everything that we've gone through in the past two years, uh, a lot of, a lot of folks, including myself, your, your circles have gotten smaller. I mean, the whole social distancing thing that made it, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that, that was an obvious reason why (laughs) socializing, we couldn't do it just as much, but as COVID kept, kept, you know, went on and on and on, uh, we slowly started to look around and, and say, okay, do I really need to deal with this? Everything seemed that much more stressful. So we were looking for ways to, just lower that stress level. And unfortunately that meant cutting out some people that were high maintenance that didn't have the, and how are you, Jane, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and I had this conversation with a comedian coincidentally about five years ago when, when he brought up uh, another comedian who we felt a, a genuine affinity to, and I'm not going to say their names. I will once the zoom call ends, Judy, and I'll tell you personally, because <laughs> that's what you and I do. Uh, but, but I remember him expressing that, well, you know, we, we've, uh, we, we have a long history together and, and I called him on it and said, now, was it a real genuine history? Like did just because you've known each other a long time, did, you know, does he know how many siblings you have? Does he, hmm. you know, what, what you did before comedy does, did he call you when he heard you were, uh, when you heard you were ill, did you do the same? Hmm. And, and, and yeah, I think it, it, this and comedians at the best of times, we have a lot of time to think and you're right. Mm-hmm. The pandemic has forced us into a position where we have even more time to think. And it's, it's easy to go to, uh, to those dark, depressing areas, or, you know, you, like you said, you can maybe close in that circle and, and, and start social editing, cutting out those people who who were high maintenance and realizing, do I feel better after I spend time with them or do I feel worse? And Mm -hmm. it sounds cruel. I, I think I would feel differently, uh, for the person who says, I don't need anybody. I've cut everyone out. But if it's the person who says, you know, I had 25 acquaintances and of those, I found out that seven of them 
we're really good, close, caring friends. So whatever the math works out to, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep those seven and, and eliminate yeah. those others. I, I, I hope that doesn't that I hope that doesn't sound too cold. No, it doesn't sound cold. And I think you're uh, it made us take stock. It made us take yeah, stock. Absolutely. What was truly important? Who was truly important? Um, I wanted to ask you about something I've been thinking about in the last little while. And since you've got the comedy background, you've got the radio background, you're very uh, socially aware um, the news background. I was thinking, yes, you know, comedians, you know, comedians, we can be pains in the asses. Many, some, some of us more pains in asses than others. Uh, yes, there are a, a percentage of comedians who have have struggled with with mental challenges and have been there. A lot of them very brave to talk about their their uh, depression on stage. And uh, but I think that and this might be a really broad stroke, but I think everybody come. I think, well, that is a broad stroke saying everybody, but I think a big percentage, <laughs> a big percentage of comedians uh have something something dysfunctional that happened that brought them to brought them to comedy right so for mm-hmm. for myself i look back at my life and i think well you know my my we moved around a lot as kids we moved around a lot like i was in about 11 different schools growing up because my dad was in insurance and as he moved up the food chain in insurance he moved from city to city province to province and it, so um it was it was awkward. Like I, you know, a lot of people think comedians are this outgoing personality type, but, but many of us aren't. So, you know, but so ultimately I leaned on comedy when I was that, that kid in class, or I leaned on comedy when I was, uh, the new kid in, you know, on, on, you know, in a sport or whatever it was. Um, but also, Uh, What I wanted to add to that was that I think that, you know, for for many comics that I've spoken to, there's been elements of uh, abuse in their background, bullying. And I think comedians, as much as, you know, there is that pain in the ass factor, I think there's a lot of and selfishness. I think there's a lot of empathy. I think comedians can be that they're their wounds have made them very empathetic people. And as a result, I think that, that not only do we see things that are wrong in the world, but it's not only good enough to see it. We have to, we have to talk about it or we joke about it because humor is a way of solving some of those healing, some of those wounds, you know, and I look at people like John Stewart, Stephen Colbert, Letterman, um, you know, uh, Carson, Canada's own Samantha B, Trevor Noah, all of these people have had something in their lives that wasn't exactly right, but they used comedy to, uh, to make an observation about what's wrong in the world. A lot of them are involved in fundraising. So do you, do you think that, that I'm onto something with them or am I totally off? Well, I would not come from a completely idyllic background, which was devoid of any kind of conflict. (laughs) 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 No, I mean, I, I, first of all, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't realized, I knew you lived in Calgary and I knew you studied to be a veterinarian Mm -hmm. and you were that person who, you know, after a couple of years thought, well, maybe I'll move on to something else. I had no idea that you'd moved into 11 
you'd lived in 11 different cities. So I certainly mm. want to know more about that. Uh, but to answer your question, it's, um, well, that's because you always talk about yourself, Dan, you've never asked know, me. No, I'm just kidding. No, let me go, let me go on about how I talk about myself and how I've developed that into an art form. Um, I, uh, there's a lot there to, um, I hesitate to say the word unpack because I know that's such the, that's say the it. thing now. Oh, that's a lot, to, that's a lot to unpack and a lot to unravel. There we go. I made a new one. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, I've become more sympathetic, I think, to, to the comedians who, who uh, are distraught or, up, or, or longing for something. I've become more sympathetic to that in the last number of years. There was a time when I thought, you know, quit being a big baby, just, you know, get on with your life. Uh, and I'm much more sympathetic, certainly to the people who suffered genuine, you know, mental, mm -hmm. uh, mental illness. I, I, I've never dealt with depression, so I, I'm, I'm, I can't pretend to empathize, but I, I can at least sympathize with it. And I've gotten better at doing that in terms of, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I know a lot of comedians who've suffered horrible trauma and then there are others who just, uh, maybe not major trauma, but certainly some kind of a, something that set them off, whether it was living in 11 different cities, um, or, you know, they, uh, they were, they, I think what you'll find, and I'm sure stats will bear this out. A lot of comedians are the youngest of many children. I was the youngest of five. Lawrence Morgenstern. Oh, interesting. Lawrence, Lawrence Morgenstern was the youngest of eight or nine. And the list goes on. And there is something to be said about fighting, you know, fighting for attention. And, 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 and my upbringing was fine. You know, I, mm -hmm. I had, uh, there was no alcohol or abuse in my mm -hmm. family, but it, it, I'd be lying if I said it was, I don't think anybody's upbringing is ideal. Yeah. Good point. Uh, it, so you know, my wife will often say that most everybody is dealing with something at some point, whether it's a sick relative or a, an estranged sibling or problems at work. And it's just about how those things manifest themselves in your real life and, and, and how you, how you manage them and how you come to terms with them. Uh, I found it a lot easier to, to manage it when I realized my personal road ahead is a lot shorter than the road behind and mm -hmm. to not, to not, uh, let those things weigh me down. Now, again, I can't stress that enough that I didn't suffer the trauma that so many other comedians and so many other people do. So it's easier for me to be, um, uh, it's easier for me to just kind of move on from that. But yes, I, I think it's, it's quite common for comedians uh, on a much more superficial level. I, I think you'll often find a lot of comedians can't skate. Uh, they're not athletes. They weren't athletes in school during a time when their peers were possibly better at that. Oh, interesting. And, and good this good was observation. Their, yeah, this was their way of, of, uh, of countering that. I mean, I'm always amazed when I hear of a great comedian who was also a great hockey player or, you know, turned down a baseball scholarship or something, because right. the truth is, uh, or you'll find a lot of comedians who are goalies because we don't have to skate <laughs> as much. So it's, it's all about fitting in. I mean, I had this conversation with uh, Maria Bamford, subtle name drop there. Uh, mm -hmm. Maria Bamford, who is, you know, the, the comedian I probably admire more than anyone else because she's, Love her. how can you not? She, well, you want you know, I've seen her, you and I saw her at the comedy bar that time yes. years ago. Fantastic. And she, she has mind mental illness the way a comedian should mind it. She doesn't mm. just, it's just not a one-off comment. Like she's really minded without, to me, she is the, uh, the, um, the epitome of, a an edgy comic mm -hmm. because let's face it. When we hear of edgy comics, they're not, they're just, oftentimes they're just dirty. No, she, right. she's really exploring <laughs> dark point. things, but I talked to her about this, about how a comedians have a lot of time on their hands. So when everybody else is living, 
we're at home um, often alone, and it's just a matter of how we decide to use that time. But you end up, you can end up living in your head. And I remember her saying that we all really just want to be accepted and, and loved ultimately. Isn't that why we're doing this? Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's a, that's, that's a roundabout way to say that. Yeah. I think a lot of comedians, the stuff that they're dealing with may be more amplified than the general populace, but ultimately we all, we all want that same goal, don't we? To just be accepted and, and loved and, um, and, and be surrounded by peers, like-minded people. Yeah, you're right. That's, that's fantastic. She's, I love Maria Bamford and you're right. She is, uh, you know, she's a superstar in how she's dealt with her challenges in life. And she's so open with it on stage. You know, she's Mm -hmm. very, uh, very brave, uh, and talented, talented comedian, Maria Bamford folks. If you ever get a chance to see her, look her up on YouTube, you know, you got to have those go-to videos that make you laugh. Maria Bamford. She's, uh, she's wonderful. Then I wanted to, um, I wanted to compliment you on something because I don't, I've always meant to say this to you, two things, but the number one, uh, I, I love the fact that you've sort of become the voice for comedians in the Toronto star. Oh, you know? that's a big, that's a big mantle to carry. I don't know if my shoulders are. That's that okay. You know, because the thing is you've been in the trenches, just this conversation, folks would listen to this and go, Oh yeah, that guy's been there, you know? So to have that perspective is so unique, but you've been able to share so many uh, so many amazing stories through your article, uh, through your articles at the Toronto star. I want to give folks your website, by the way, Denny You want to know anything about standup? Um, what was your favorite or most enlightening article to read, uh, to write for the Toronto star? Uh, I can probably go back mm-hmm. further. And I'm thinking of the first documentary I did, uh, for the CBC. And I can't remember if I spun that into a, a print piece or not. Uh, back to our original points, I think it, I think it was when the moment I discovered how many comedians uh, were dealing with depression, mm. and I and I had been in, as you say, the trenches for about ten years, and I was mm-hmm. just so naive as to think that you know the comedians were even the very successful or what I deemed were successful comedians were all dealing with some kind of mental health problem. Mm-hmm. So, and I, and I remember. Um, producing that into a documentary with, with comedians who were very open with me, which I really appreciated and talked about the relationship between comedians and depression. And, and, and I remember speaking to a psychologist in the Peterborough area and she explained how those two dots were connected. So that's in terms of documentaries, that's probably one that really sticks with me. Um, in terms of print pieces, that's a good question. You know, I, hmm, well, I did do a piece about 12 years ago on this, uh, this young woman who was a, uh, uh, a stand-up comedy teacher at Second City, and uh, was <laughs> and was just honest. And uh, for, you know what? I'm I'm I I, I joke because I, I it was a, a story about stand-up comedy students, and and it was a course that you were teaching. Yes, you can Google it. So Google Judy Croom, Toronto Star, <laughs> Second City, and you know what, Judy, that was one of my favorite articles. And and I and I think you and I have spoken about this before, because I was still a journalist, and I had to interview you after the uh i sat in on one of your classroom sessions and the question i put to you was was somewhat delicate uh and it went something like um there's a real uh almost a person could argue that there's an almost pollyanna 
atmosphere to your classrooms where mm. every joke is wonderful and everyone is so supportive <laughs> and, and everything is great. And it's the only time I've ever heard you just become not angry, just firm. Mm -hmm. And, and you stopped and you went, you know why we're like that? Because they're, because they're going to have to deal with so much shit mm -hmm. as comedians in their regular careers. If they decide to pursue this, I wanted an atmosphere where we could be encouraging and positive. And I felt, <laughs> and it was very much Judy Croon putting me in my place, which is what, <laughs> which as a journalist, I wanted, I wanted that moment. And I, I felt I actually, I was, to be honest with you, I was proud of myself because I challenged you and you met the challenge. So that's, that's an article that really stands out in my mind about how, uh, you know, the, the people that there was this nurturing environment mm -hmm. for standups, because let's face it, it's, it can be a backbiting, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say whatever I have to, yeah. so that I, I can get O'Toole's in Belleville and you won't, mm -hmm. and that it was nice to be in that kind of environment. So that was a, a really refreshing story I wrote years ago. Well, it was, you know, it was great to have you in the class because your perspective, again, because you'd been in the trenches for years, um, to have your perspective as a seasoned comic, but also as a seasoned journalist, um, was, was really nice, you know, and, um, it, it, it uh, I'll tell you that particular, um, that particular lesson that I, that I brought to my classes and I still, and I still to this day maintain is that attitude. It's the whole idea of, uh, I got that from Toastmasters, you know, the whole idea of two strokes and a poke and the idea that whether someone's going up there to do a speech or they're going up there to do five minutes of stand up comedy, we give them two good notes and then we sandwich it in between the bread. We put in a, a comment, something that they can improve upon because it's so terrifying for someone to speak for the first time. It's so terrifying for someone to do stand up for Absolutely, the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I know a lot of those comics who are a lot of those students who went on to do open mic nights and it was pretty terrifying. But, you know, at least they were somewhat prepared. A, they had a really good five minute set, but on top of that, they were going in with their eyes open. Um, the other thing I wanted to uh, say to you as well, that I don't think I've ever told you is that you were the reason you were uh, a catalyst for me getting into radio. And oh. it all started a thousand years ago when I was taking a radio course at Humber College and you called me and you said, Judy, there's a new radio station starting in Ottawa, right. Magic Magic 100. You got to get your material in there. And I said, there's no way I'm just a student. There's no way I'm going to get in. You get, get your tape together, send it to them. You never know. And uh, lo and behold, I got the overnight show. What I didn't have in uh, radio experience, I hopefully made up for in comedic experience. And then that a year later, I ended up co-hosting the morning show. And, and it, from yeah, and it didn't surprise me at all. I think anybody who knew you went, yeah, this makes sense. This is, of course, where she was headed. So I always wanted to thank you for that because I had a really, really nice radio career. Thanks to Danny Grignon, my friend who called me and said, get your tape in there. So thank you. Wow. And on that note, you know, I also admire you because you're, you're, uh, you've got your own podcast and your podcast, you're one of those really smart people where you're actually making money with your podcast. <laughs> Isn't that the challenge? <laughs> Not as much as I'd like, but, but you know, to back, you. To, 
But back to that point, Judy, about, you know, me calling you and the, and telling you about a job, it's, that wasn't a huge feat. And it wasn't, um, I didn't have to compromise myself in any way or, or sacrifice anything I was doing. So to, you know, and I think of the mindfulness and just being at peace with yourself. Uh, that's something I, I strive to do and something I, uh, my wife and I have really instilled in our, our sons, you know, it takes a minute to whether it's, um, and I've done this many times and it's, it's no great feat. If I see a job opportunity for somebody or something that I think somebody is best suited for, I may email them and say, listen, you know, I think you'd be suited for this. I don't know if you're aware of it, or it may just be, you know, I heard them on, on CBC radio performing on laugh out loud. And I may just send them a quick note and say, just heard your set. I really liked it. I thought it was really funny. Um, and that's something that takes 30 seconds out of your life. And all I can think is that that one guy I did that, I did that for once. And it literally took me a minute out of my life. And mm -hmm. he wrote me back immediately and said, you know, I was having a shit day. Mm. And then I got your note and I just feel better now. And it was, so that's, and, and I, there's a selfishness in that too. And that I, you know, there's nothing wrong with me feeling good about making somebody else feel good. And I didn't, I didn't have to leave the comfort of my chair, but it's, <laughs> it's something that I, it's something that I wish more people would do more often because it's easy and it's, and it's, uh, you're not going to hurt yourself doing it. Well, and it made a difference in my life. So, you know, I, I just wanted to tell you that because that's what changed my course from, you know, doing stand-up comedy to, uh, to radio. And yeah, well, you, you would have ended up there anyway, Judy, there's no doubt in my mind. You know what? Let me share an anecdote from, uh, it wasn't a doodly do drive, but it was <laughs> 1991. We were driving. I remember we were on the 401. We had just gotten off of whatever North South road and we were driving to a gig in Guelph. And I remember, and this is, you know, the, the foresight that you had that a lot of comedians could have and didn't, uh, and you were successful as a comedian, but I remember you telling me I'm, I'm, I'm at school, I'm studying to be uh, studying radio broadcasting. And you qualified it by saying, because if anybody thinks that this is going to last forever, they're dreaming, meaning you know, <laughs> is stand up. So I always point to that and go, so Judy knew. So there's no doubt. Sure. You ended up with a, a job at magic 100 in, in Ottawa, but there's no doubt in my mind, you would have ended up somewhere else. If it hadn't been me, you would got, gotten it on your own within, <laughs> within minutes. Um, let's talk about your podcast, the advocate podcast stories from Kawartha lakes. Sure. Why did you start that? Cause you know what, you've always been the guy that's kind of been the voice for the little guy, you know? And I, I love the fact that you have turned this into a podcast. So tell folks, uh, tell folks all about it. Sure. And, and, and true, true to that, uh, axiom of making it for the little guy. Hey, I don't want too many listeners and, uh, mission accomplished so far. <laughs> No, you know what? It's, it's a nice little show. It's, uh, uh, I, I still, you know, I still produce the occasional documentary for, for CBC radio and it, 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 it's something I'd been wanting to do for a long time. I just needed some nudging and some prompting. And sure enough, there's a, a monthly magazine here in, in Lindsay called the advocate magazine. And it's publishers came to me a little while back and said, what do you know about podcasting? I wonder if there's some void we can fill here in the community. And I said, you know, I have always been wanting to do a kind of CBC radio ish show, but exclusive to the people and issues of the city of Kawartha Lakes, which is encompassing, which encompasses Bob Cajun and Fenland Falls and Lindsay. And you know what other people refer to as cottage country. That's a <laughs> word that my wife and I just, uh, we, we bristle at. So I, <laughs> I, I pitched them on this show of a lifestyle -y news magazine 
about just about the issues of Corth Lake. So it's a lot of stories that you're not going to hear on the CBC. You might, but more often than not, you won't. But it's it's think of it as a really nice community paper, but it's for radio that just happens to be on a computer or on your phone mm-hmm. and it's, it's scripted. There's some sound effects. So it's, it's, and I'm drawing on, on the skills I learned at the CBC. So it's not, you know, I, I like to say it's not two dudes, two bros talking to each other with an iPhone in front of them going, so what do you want to yak about now? It's there's <laughs> an actual s- structure to it. So, and it's, it's, it's a lot of, I get a lot of, um, I get a lot of personal satisfaction out of it, you know, like profiling musicians that might not be on this CBC radio's queue or, or any of the other major networks, but this is their chance to talk about their art and, and their music, or it might be as simple as, um, gosh, you know, I've got a, uh, actually every now and then you hit big. The last episode I had, I interviewed Megan Park, who is the writer director of this great movie, which is now on HBO max called the fallout. And she just happens to be from, uh, from the Lindsay area originally. And it was just friend listeners. Cool. Yeah. Listeners who contacted me and said, Hey, I think you might want to interview her. You know, she's, she's living in not Lindsay anymore, but she's still good friends with my daughter. So those are the moments that I really like. And, and to be able to, uh, to just tell those stories to other people, it's a, it's, it's a real bonus. And yes, we found a, a major sponsor in, in uh, a local law firm called Ward's lawyers who have been amazing. They've been so hands-off. They just, they're not doing it because it's, it's improving your bottom line. They're they're sponsoring it because I fervently believe because they see it as a nice community contribution to the area. So yeah, so it's check it out. You know, you'll find it on all your major platforms. So yeah, it's a nice little show. Well, they're very, very lucky to have you. And again, uh, Thanks, it's, it's the Advocate Podcast Stories from Kawartha Lakes, produced and hosted by Denny Grignon. And uh, Denny, you know, thank you so much for being on my show today. I mean, we've been talking about doing this for uh, for a while. I wanted to talk about mindfulness with you. I wanted to talk about comedy and radio and, and all of those good things. And we finally did it. So thank you for being the, the gem that you are oh thanks did i cover the bases did uh did we talk <laughs> enough about mine i don't have to go on about how my wife and i carved out all these snowshoe trails on our property and <laughs> i find mindfulness there but i hope i covered it you covered it and uh inside there you're you're a very positive person <laughs> oh, thanks you know what i i'm i, I will try and uh I will try and run with that horse from here on in. Every time I feel negative, I'll go, I got to live up to what uh, Judy Kern thinks I am. So, Hey, listen, um, if you'd like to get a hold of Denny Grignon, again, his website is Denny Grignon at, uh, at um, DennyGrignon.com. Uh, DennyGrignon.com. And again, it's the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. And if you'd like to catch up on any of my other Laugh Long and Prosper episodes, uh, you can check me out on Spotify and or SoundCloud and or Amazon and or FM Player, or just go to my website, JudyKroon.com. Until next time, folks, Laugh Long and Prosper. Denny, thank you so much. Oh, thanks you, Jude. I'm, I don't do a lot of these and uh, it was a joy to do this one because you're you're just such a comforting boy. And as I've said, you're the comedian who asks questions. So you're well suited for this. And it was a, it was a real pleasure. I, I, I'm very grateful for your inviting me.